Hi, I'm Father David Dufresne, parochial vicar of St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the St. Charles Church Talks podcast. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He replied and said to him, Teacher, all of these I have observed from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You are lacking in one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At that statement, his face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, with your permission, I'd like to talk about a classic theme, the noonday devil, in particular light of St. Anthony of the Desert sometimes St. Anthony the Great, whose feast day we had just yesterday. So this is really where the term became popularized, but he borrowed it from sacred scripture, Psalm 91, talking about this destructive force that goes out in the middle of the day. And I picked this gospel passage for a very intentional reason. Because one way we can talk about this noonday devil is disdain for things of God. Maybe sometimes disdain is a little too hard of a word. Maybe it's just meh, just a lukewarmness, an indifference towards the things of God. Maybe it's a sadness at the things of God. And all three, whether it's disdain, just meh, or lukewarmness, right? All that can be part of the noonday devil, sometimes called Acadia. So the rich young man left sad, despondent, and there he was in front of God incarnate himself. There he was receiving the same call that the others received. We know from Matthew's gospel that When Matthew was called, he left immediately. We can imagine a little skip in his step when he finally heard Jesus call him. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, same thing when they were fishing. Come, follow me. They left quickly, immediately. We might envision with a bit of joy when they heard Jesus call. The same call, two different reactions. Immediately, with joy, and slowly with sadness. There's a tradition, one I personally ascribe to, small t tradition, that this rich young man in question here, 
is actually Mark himself. Matthew has the same account, but there's a detail here. The look of Jesus. Many subscribe to the fact that Mark remembers that look. That Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, go, sell what you have, and then come, follow me. We also know that Mark vacillated quite a bit. That he was a young man at that time, came from a wealthy household, this much we also know. He was a travel companion to St. Paul. And St. Paul, for whatever reason, thought he was a spoiled brat and kicked him off the trip, sent him back home, only to be given a second chance by St. Peter. St. Mark should give us hope. So this rich young man went away sad with the things of God. Why? Because he preferred the things of this world. And it's a very similar passage, very similar reality, that convicted and changed young St. Anthony who also came from a wealthy, well-to-do family who had many possessions. And he heard Jesus say, go sell what you have, then come follow me. But St. Anthony did it. He did it quickly with great joy and seriousness. So we see the apostles, we see St. Anthony, we see these great saints who heard the word of God and acted upon it quickly with joy. There was, I think I've mentioned this before, um, I was giving a homily and at, at, at some point just talking about salvation as a priest would want to do, but then talking about salvation is not a reward for good little boys and girls in hell, so much a punishment you know, for, for doing bad, because how do we explain the good thief? So he wasn't rewarded with heaven by the lips of our Lord himself because of his good deeds. So heaven ultimately, at the end of the day, is simply being with God. That, as St. John Paul II said, he gives us what we want. A life with him or life without him. And apparently this upset greatly somebody who was in attendance who came up to me and essentially said, you know, my husband is the nicest person I've ever met. And you mean to tell me just because he's an atheist, he's not going to heaven? And I, I would like to think my response was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I said, ma'am, if your husband doesn't want to be with God now, why would he want to be with God later? She did not have a good answer for that. But that's ultimately it. It's not a reward for being good little boys and girls. Hopefully, right, we are good little boys and girls. But not to earn heaven, but because that's the way we're supposed to be happy, by keeping the commandments, by following the Lord Jesus, by trusting that his ways and his commandments are actually good for us. Okay. I think I also shared um, an experience leading Confirmandi students. They're about 14 years old. And we went all over central Italy. And at the end of the trip, we were sharing graces. And we went to the Vatican, the, the room where St. Catherine Siena was was grew up, was raised, um, mass in some of the most amazing places. And so we were sharing some of the highlights of the trip, these 14-year-olds. And they said, meeting that monk in Norcia. It's like, really, why? It's like, because he was holy. And I 
reflecting on that experience since, what is also remarkable is that I didn't get jealous. Like, I agreed. I'm like, yeah, he was much holier than I am. And you can tell. And he, and he wasn't like pretending. He wasn't like hyper pious. He wasn't putting on a show. He just oozed holiness. Someone who actually loves God. And the, and the kids found that captivating. I found it encouraging. Like, hey, prayer works. Right? If you pray, you get holy. Simple as that. I should do that more. Right? And that's a sign of the Holy Spirit operative. That it wasn't jealous. I'm with you all the time and I'm a priest and I turn bread into Jesus. Aren't you inspired by me? No, they were inspired by him because he was actually holy. Right? And I was too. That's a good sign. Right? It inspires us. We don't become jealous when we're around real holiness if we're squared away as well. Okay, so the desert fathers, they were striving to be holy. They were like the masters of holiness who fled the things of this world, the flesh and the devil, to go achieve holiness. And a large tradition was they would pray all 150 psalms every single day. And for most of them, it would take the first part of the day, then around noon. Then what? And that's kind of where the phrase became popularized in monastic circles, the noonday devil that's when they would experience temptation. And their temptation came in two main forms, and I bet we all experience similar temptations. So they're done with their prayer routine, 150 psalms. Now they're just kind of sitting in their huts. Then what happens? Two main things. Their mind begins to wander. Ever happened to you in prayer? It just kind of darts about all sorts of different things. They get bored with prayer. When they don't have the structure of the Psalms, when they don't have an object to keep them focused, their mind just darts about. I wonder what they're eating in town. I wonder what my friend in the hut next to me, I wonder what he got out of his prayer this morning. We can go have a nice spiritual conversation together. I wonder if anybody needs help. I wonder if I shouldn't go to town and talk to people about Jesus, wouldn't that be a nice thing to do? This is how their mind would wander, where they would be tempted in their boredom to leave that state of prayer. Lastly, they would also be inspired to activism. Like, I have to go do something. What, I already said my prayers. That wall in my hut needs a little fixing. I need to go do something now. Simply sitting here isn't going to accomplish anything good. Okay, so boredom and activism. Right, that's what they kind of distill down to the noonday devil, which seems contradictory. To be tempted in their boredom, simply sitting there, letting their mind wander, and then being tempted to go be active. The commonality between those kind of, we might say, extremes of the noonday devil is the recognition that God is not enough. That's what they were tempted with. That it's not enough to simply be with him. That I need some firework in my prayer. I need to feel connected. I, I, need, I need these spiritual consolations. Or um, it's not enough to be with God. I need to do something either to earn his love, either to go help somebody, 
but it's not enough to simply be with him. I need to do something. And I wager to say most of us are tempted uh, in those two areas, tempted in our boredom and tempted to flee to activity um, all the time. So, what to do if we're tempted when we make a resolution to go and pray and we get bored, we have this meh feeling about prayer, our mind begins to wander, or we're tempted into activism. So many different things can be said, but I'll just say uh, three or four things. So that, that popular Benedictine phrase, ora et labora, they say that's a remedy to this noonday devil. To pray and to work, we need both. Right? We need balance, essentially. Right? That we should be active. We should have um, certain disciplines. We should have a routine. And then we should be able to sit and be still and to pray. They're not opposed to one another. They complement one another. Right? Even the monks notice they can't be idle 24 hours a day. Right? They needed to be doing something, whether it's chopping wood, fetching water, right? whatever it is, their bodies have to be active so that their mind can rest. Ora et laborum, to pray and to work. The great tradition also mentions Memento mori, remember you're going to die, maybe even today. Uh, apparently some kind soul had a mass offered for me today um, at, at a parish nearby. And then everybody who was at that mass uh, was reaching out like, are you okay? Are you, are you dead? I said, well, you wouldn't get a response if I was. Um, but what a beautiful thing, right, to, to say mass, but then also to recognize, yeah, maybe, maybe today I will die. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? I get to see him face to face. So to, to have that recognition, have like a little skull on your desk, on your nightstand, right? One day that skull will be you, right? Not a real one, that's, that's not hygienic, but like, you know, you can get little plastic ones from Catholic stores. To remember your death daily, right? especially when you're tempted. It's like, okay, what if you died right after giving into that sin, right? With your back completely turned away from God, right? To remember, yeah, if you die in that sin, like, was it worth it? Now, to remember we're destined for death, all of us, and it could be today. To speak the truth to lies, right, that you're not doing any good here in prayer. Go be active. Right? To, just like how our blessed Lord was tempted, he spoke truth in those lies by speaking scripture. And in so many words, he told the devil to go to hell. And we should do the same in prayer, right? to rebuke those lies in the name of the Lord Jesus. To say, I rebuke that lie, that prayer is worthless. I rebuke that lie, that only the act of life is worthwhile. I rebuke that lie, that I'm not worthy to be holy or to be here in prayer. Or whatever the lies are that come creeping in, right? to rebuke it, especially with scripture. Persevering through boredom. The great tradition says the antidote to uh, Acadia, to the noonday devil. Just perseverance, right? buck up, just stay there. Right? Have, have an alarm for your prayer time and do not move until the alarm goes off. Not even 30 seconds. Guilty of doing the opposite all the time. Because right? things have to get done. No, stay there. Recently had lunch with two buddies 
Uh, one is in charge of training cops and one was in charge of training Marines. And they both have the, the same experience of, you know, people who get all excited, I wanna help people, you know, I, I wanna catch the bad guys, whether they're here or, you know, somewhere else. I wanna do good in the world, right? great. You also have to walk the beats. You also have to do the paperwork. You also have to do all the boring stuff too. And so many of them didn't want to. Right? From the Marines, they didn't want to clean their room every day or clean their weapons or, I mean, they wanted just the action, the fun stuff. Well, you're never gonna be ready for the fun stuff if you don't do the boring stuff. There's a constant refrain from, from both those, those guys, their difficulty training these people. They had good intentions, right? They were good, good people that signed up for this stuff, right? But they had a hard time with the boring stuff. So often that could be us in prayer too. Right? We're never going to have the fireworks, the great consolations, if we don't pray. And we're not going to persevere in prayer if we lose the taste for it because it's boring. So to persevere. And these are saints, like St. Anthony of the Great giving this advice, right? the great monastic ones. So if they struggled with it, you better believe we're going to struggle with it. So antidotes to boredom, to be vigilant and diligent, right? to have a game plan. When are you going to pray? How long are you going to pray? What is going to be the object of your prayer? Right? For how long? Right? To be very intentional and focused with that prayer, to get over that boredom. Because if you only prayed when you felt like it, we never pray or seldom pray. We just have to be vigilant and diligent with that well-structured game plan for our prayer. And then certainly not to give in to that boredom. Right? When we notice our mind is wandering, to focus back. Right? Not to give in to that boredom whenever you know, we can practice things even outside of, of formal prayer. Right? Whenever we sense that boredom, waiting in a line you know, at a stop sign, what do we do in that boredom? Do we go and, I need to be stimulated. I need to be entertained. Let's scroll. Let's find out you know, what messages I have. We just kind of sit in that boredom. Practice makes perfect. My mom used to always say, and I don't know if yours did too, only boring people get bored. I never liked that phrase. I think there is something to that. Right? Don't go around looking to soothe our boredom. We can do this in all sorts of, of manner of ways. And to, to be diligent, not just with our prayer, but just in life in general. Right? To have to-do to lists, to have goals, to have objective, objectives for every day. Because right? if, if we can be diligent about that, right? if, if those Marines can make their bed, right? if they can shine their shoes, if they can clean their weapons, that means they're going to be diligent about the small details, the boring details to be successful elsewhere. Same thing in our prayer life. If we can be diligent with these other aspects, we're going to be diligent in our own prayer life. So that's how to combat boredom. Activism. To have time for silence. Even in our prayer life. Right? It's not just going, right, the rosary, liturgy of the hours, this litany, this novena. Right? We can have hours of prayer that's just filled with activity. To carve out good time for nothing, just to be with him. Right? I often uh, think of the line, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly 
in a room alone. Blaise Pascal said that in the 1600s. All of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I don't think that's hyperbolic. But I think there's something profoundly true there. And it could be true, our inability to sit quietly in a room alone, it, that could be true for all sorts of reasons. Maybe God makes us uncomfortable. Maybe we don't like ourselves and don't want to be alone in our own company. It could be all sorts of reasons. But we need to get over it. So to simply be with him, to receive his love, to realize for some reason that is often way beyond my capacity to understand, he likes you and me. Just sit with that, that he likes you into existence, that he does not make junk, he does not repent of having made you, even with all your sins. He still likes you and just wants to be with you. So sometimes the first step is simply sitting there and taking it and receiving that and beginning to believe it. So it's that recognition, Acadia, the noonday devil, that in fact the Lord is enough. In fact, this is what we're made for. That if we were to snap our fingers and become the emperor of empress of the entire world to have anything we wanted at any moment's notice, to have the entire world at our fingertips, it would not be enough. We would not be happy or satisfied. But the Lord is enough. At least we should know this intellectually and every day strive to put that into practice by how we pray and by how we live. So Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you anew again tonight. Help us to have the conviction that you are enough. Praise you, Jesus Christ, now and forever. Thanks for joining us today, and please remember to subscribe. And if you enjoyed our show, give us a rating on the Apple Podcasts. Peace.